This episode is brought to you by Referral Candy, the customer referral app trusted by over 3,000 e-commerce brands. Referral Candy helps turn your happy customers into happy salespeople for your brand. After a purchase, a customer can copy their personalized referral code in one click to be able to share it with their friends. This helps you acquire new customers at a fixed cost. After a successful referral, your customers are then automatically given their reward. Referral Candy is giving e-commerce uncovered listeners $50 off after their 30-day free trial with code e-commerce uncovered. Go to try.referralcandy.com slash e-commerce uncovered and enter in code e-commerce uncovered for $50 off your 30-day free trial. Hello and welcome back to e-commerce uncovered. I'm your host, Matt Lady. Today I'm joined with our guest, Ian Leslie. Ian works at Bolt. And Ian, what is your favorite thing about the four-day work week that has recently um, changed? Man, we're just diving right, yeah, yeah. Man, we're just diving right into it. Um, yeah, no, good, good to chat. Uh, appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I think I think Ryan, our our you know founder CEO, has done an amazing job of like um, kind of communicating the four-day work week not being, you know, it's not like incredibly structured right it, it just it leaves you that 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 available that variability to be like okay friday i can no meetings do what i want you know I, of course like if i need to schedule something on a friday like i personally am going to but if i also want to just say like you know what my morning is going to be doing the lawn or power washing or, or whatever like I, I or you know my daughter has a half day of every other friday and i could spend it taking her to lunch um like i think that's the that's the big piece right it's just like um whether or not i which i think we're in such an odd place as a culture where um we don't we're not like our parents live to work to an extent right and like we're not um and i think like especially in the e-commerce space or 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 tech space it's it's really just become like this get the work done. I really don't care when you do it aspect. And the whole idea of a work day is just kind of is, is just foreign to a lot of us anyway. So for me, it's really just like, okay, I don't have to worry about Slack. I don't have to worry about email. And I'm just really setting my own schedule and any meetings I want to take are the ones that I'm going to say yay or nay or initiate. Right. So like, for instance, tomorrow, like, yeah, I'm, I'm recording a podcast tomorrow, but I could have easily, like, there's no reason I, if I didn't want to, I don't have to, <laughs> like, yeah, there's no right. reason I, I didn't have to say yes, but, um, but yeah, I was like, okay, well, that's my one thing for Friday. I'll do it. And then I'll, like I said, take my daughter to lunch. So yeah, I, I just love the flexibility of it. And I, I love that. It just kind of speaks to the larger, um, conscious culture narrative that, um, that Ryan and Bolt, uh, talk about. And, and, and it's just really a, a small component of it, to be honest, like, uh, I've talked about in the past and not trying to ramble here, but like, I think like there are lessons I've learned in just 90 days at Bolt that I wish I had when I was, you know, when I was 20, 30. Yeah. Um, so and, a lot yeah. of the people listening maybe in that 20 or 30 range, let, let's hear some of these things that you learned. Yeah. I mean, I think like, yeah. I mean, I think like one of the things is like Bolt um, promotes this, you know, uh, mechanism of feedback, which is like, thanks for wish that. And it's basically um, feedback that your manager provides you and, and you also provide your manager once, basically once, once a month. So it's like, um, and, and it's all, it's scheduled. It's like, we have a sign of tasks to provide feedback, <laughs> but it's like, basically it's like, you know, 
to my manager and then my manager to me, thanks for, and then going through that and then wish that. And then it doesn't have to be like, you know, the wish that doesn't necessarily have to be incredibly crit, like, you know, uh, criticism or anything, but just really like wish that you keep doing what you're doing, you know, sometimes also. But really, I think like we, we, we have this, or I've been a professional now for, you know, 21 years or, you know, post-college is like, I know I am always like wondering, like, well, where do I stack up? Where do I rank? You're like, you know, am I doing what I need to do? And like, this really takes that guesswork out of it. It's like, thanks for, or, and wish that, and, and really just kind of uh, validates the work you've done and then lets you know, like where you stand or where you, where you potentially need to kind of expand. So um, I think stuff like that, I think is just critical. And I even like love how, you know, we, we utilize Asana um, here and, and just like in terms of, um, you know, PSAs and then like, what's something that needs to be addressable and then like, what's an agreement, you know? And like, if you make an agreement, like live up to it sort of thing. And, um, I just, I just really, yeah, I mean, it's just really, like I said, it's, it's been pretty, um, pretty incredible that 90 days, definitely, definitely some, some professional lessons I've learned that, like I said, I wish I had 20 years ago, though there awesome. was no Asana 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No Asana, but uh thanks for wish that awesome that's a, that's a cool little simple framework um yeah i love i like that okay yeah so how uh, ian like real quick like what do you do at bolt and what yeah. like what do you like what's your favorite part of your job and then let's let's keep diving uh into yeah that yeah after. sure so uh obviously like so i came from the merchant side i was with industry west for six years driving um e-commerce for uh or really across all marketing but we're really focusing on e-com uh for industry west west which is a furniture company based out of florida and has a showroom in new york prior to that i was with um Savannah college of art and design where i was uh, leading their digital marketing team to uh recruit you know high school students um just getting high school students to raise their hand and say i'd like to attend scad and, and that was like the lead gen to management function that i did there uh, and then moving to Bolt, you know, was my first foray into tech, SaaS, and um, that side of it. And f my role at Bolt is uh, I'm in retail advocacy. So um, really um, trying to tell merchant stories, um, evangelize on behalf of our merchants, uh, support our merchants, but then also evangelize on behalf of our, uh, our merchants internally and be like a merchant voice as we build out the product roadmap and 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 even in product marketing, um, to like you know, are we making are are we talking in terms and phrases that that the average merchant will understand, whether it's you know enterprise or SMB or you know someone in you know big commerce who's you know in that um, three million dollar kind of range. Uh, so just making sure we talk to them in in plain English that they understand. Um, and then, yeah, um, just evangelizing on, on behalf of Bolt as well and what we're trying to build and um, being <laughs> a talking head to an extent. Um, but, uh, yeah, so and my favorite part, I think, is, is, um, is I think, you know, making those connections with the merchants and being able to understand, like, where they're succeeding and where they, you know, where, where their pay points are. Um, and then also uh, just being kind of behind um, behind the curtain on, on the product roadmap and seeing, um, what, what's coming down the pike and, and having access to that and seeing how it's, you know, a lot of things are going to change the checkout game. Uh, I think are really exciting. So, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So what's the biggest difference from, 
uh, CMO role at Industry <laughs> West for six years to first ninety sure. days at Bolt, where it's not not directly <laughs> product. Yeah. You're not you're not pushing and selling mm-hmm. furniture anymore. You're helping tell these stories with these merchants about this about Bolt, which is sure. Uh, simply put, and you can explain it better, is a is a accelerated checkout tool. Yeah, and you yeah. can yeah. So what's the biggest? So I mean, I think that? the biggest. Um, I think the biggest piece, the biggest change is is not having my fingers in every pie or pot. Um, so I mean, I think like I know you 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 we were just talking like you're you really want to focus on the really the SMB side and probably like the small the S and the SMB side. Um, and like, I think even at industry West as CMO, like you're, when you're CMO, you're de facto CTO, you're de facto e-commerce director. Um, and, um, you know, at a company that is in that, you know, zero to $50 million range, your CMO really has to have a full understanding of not only just marketing tactics, but also like full on tech stack from, from e-com all the way to fulfillment. And so I think not being part of every segment of that is has been the biggest change and really just being like okay here's my swim lane here's what my task my goals are and 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 not having to worry about really everything has been a big change for me um what was the second part of the question is but i mean i know you asked a little bit about um unpacking what bolt is yeah i mean i think um i mean obviously for working with bolt i mean bolt is um Bolt truly is a checkout OS. Um, and I think like, um, I think we get lumped into some other kind of segments and com- with some other competitors that are truly apples to oranges. But I think like what, what I, I love, um, yes, there's one quick checkout. Yes, there's the whole network effect as we bring more merchants on and as more uh, consumers start to use Bolt, right? That network effect of, of being able to go from site to site, and click out with just your email or your cell phone grows and is huge. But I think like for the merchants, like we're, Bolt is is like um is 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 basically helping their dev and product roadmap grow right or you know exponentially increase the speed of which they're able to bring things on, whether it's an APM or whether it's buy now pay later or whether it's um fraud or whether it's even abandoned cart. Um so like bolt offers like really when you when you add bolt, like automatically you're given the ability to, you know, plug a ferment plug Apple Pay in, plug Amazon Pay in without kind of having to do like another round of dev work. Um, additionally, there's, you know, a lot of fraud measures. Additionally, there's, um, there is, um, you know, abandoned card flow. Additionally, there's like merchant side analytics where that you would used to have to rely on like a well pixel or Google Analytics hack to see like where customers are dropping within the, the, the cart process. So whereas like, I used to say that like that was all value add to the beautiful checkout and to the one click checkout process. I actually think like maybe beautiful checkout is the value add to all this <laughs> other stuff, right? Because like I mean I think like check bolt truly is a checkout operating system and and I think or or a car, you know, a checkout OS for sure. And uh whereas I think a lot of other competitors are just just a cart replacement. Uh, so definitely a difference there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love it. I think the product roadmap is amazing. I think like what's coming on the bike is amazing. I think the dedication of the team and, and the leadership is amazing. And yeah, excited to, excited to be part of it. Sweet. So what what is like, what is something that you have been able to carry over from your past? And what is, uh, let's start there. Like what's one transferable like 
skill or task or something that you've sure uh, brought over from your past jobs, and then I'll uh-huh. follow up. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is definitely like my interactions with um, with systems integrators and my my just again like my integration, my understanding of integrations of like the entire tech stack and the entire um, uh, process for um, an SMB. So, like understanding that. Um, it, it, you know, the checkout is only a portion of um, just a small portion of, of the entire process. Like, so, and and I think everyone understands that. Like, people know that, like, a website isn't an island, but still, like, to actually have, act, like, six years of, of background in that and understanding, like, how inventory flows back and forth between website and ERP and how, you know, the orders flow back and forth and, and just all the complexities of, tax and shipping and, and everything and so just being able to bring that to the table and, and have those conversations internally um and as we again like as we go to market with different products and, and across different platforms um just bringing that um that understanding and and, and being able to work with our team to um something that they uh, you know for like you know we may add something to the product that they just see as like a small, you know, afterthought. And I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. Like, that would be amazing for merchants. Like, we need to promote that more on the merchant side. Like, that's definitely value to them. So, I mean, I think just just bringing that um, that, that background and, and bringing that experience um, has been helpful. Yeah, so even though you're, quote, newer to the tech and SaaS as a job, you're not new to the industry. So sure. you bring all that experience and knowledge with you to be able to communicate better between the dev, right. the designers, and the store merchants, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Phil, you know, I, I know you know Phil Jackson. Um, he and I did a great conversation about a year ago of like, you know, the um, skill set of the modern CMO. And I think like that's like, like, like we just talked about is like the modern CMO has to understand the entire tech stack and the entire life cycle of not just the buyer, but the order and um, being able to bring that history and that background um, has, is where I guess I provide value at. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So then yeah. what's, what's, uh, what's been the like biggest challenge or biggest hurdle? Uh, what's been something that's been difficult so far in, in your first uh, 90 days here with Apple that you didn't foresee coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Potentially. I, think, I, I think, you know, to be completely transparent, and um, I think it's just been the mental um, adjustment of, of not being responsible for every, or, you know, 50% of, of the business um, day to day. And then also um, the detox of not, uh, you know, I used to see literally every, e-commerce order come through on my phone um, and not having that happen anymore. Uh, so, I mean, that's been a change. I mean, I think it's been a healthy mental change for sure. Um, so, yeah, it's just been different uh, going from a bootstrap company to one, you know, that um, is, you know, backed financially and, and has has raised, um, has just been, um, and, and even to the extent of like, you know, when, when you're working with a bootstrap company, there's like, you just want to uh, you you take it upon yourself to uh, duct tape and crazy glue, uh, you know, where you can and where where you feel like you need to, um, and and just that mindset and mind and shift in mindset of like, oh, we actually, you know, there there's maybe a little bit more resources than I'm used to, and I can actually form this out or ask for help or whatever. So I mean, I think that's that's been a change, um, and something definitely we you know to 
I've had to get used to. Yeah, awesome. That makes a lot of sense going from Bootstrap to uh, a larger team with a larger mm-hmm. funding like that. Yeah, for sure. So, I uh, wanted, wanted to kind of double tap into that modern CMO and trying mm-hmm. to extract the most important bits for early founders. Like, mm-hmm. what is the most important thing for early founders to keep in mind that they can't afford to hire a CMO because they're everything. They're, sure. they're, they're everything right now. So what are a few of the like most important things you would kind of consider um, wanting to tell an early stage founder? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think, um, gosh, there's so many, um, <laughs> man, I mean, there's so many different places you can go with it now. And it's, I think it's so complex now, especially as, um, you know, the past six months have seen such differences in terms of um, how iOS updates and right, and like privacy issues and quote unquote cookie apocalypse coming next year. So I mean, I think, um, I think, I, I think, gosh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the, it, everything is so important, right? I mean, I think, um, I think having a clear voice and, and really being able to define that from day one, I think being, um, just uh understanding like i guess looking at it more from the marketing perspective like i think i've always and this goes back like a decade now and it's nothing new but it's like don't feel like you have to um dive into all channels right it's like figuring out what the proper channels are for you and i think this is like a running joke on social media right it, it, on twitter is that like social media managers basically have a new channel, like a new channel, pop up once a week that they have to you know account for, or a change in Twitter or a change in TikTok. Like, you know, Facebook may make sense for some, and Facebook may or Twitter may make make, make sense for some, or TikTok may make sense for some. Um, I don't think like it's everything to everyone all the time. So I think really truly understanding your demographic, uh, who you're going after, and then like what the proper channels to reach them on are is is critical. Um, I think. Um, I think really like advertising and marketing are so different based on the vertical and based on the category. And I think a bootstrap company versus a venture back company is going to be so different um, because, you know, you hear a lot about like, why are people freaking about iOS, you know, and why are people pivoting from Facebook and Instagram to Google when they should really just be focusing on, you know, building their own, um, their own media arm or their own whatever it's it's not that easy like it's not that easy for everyone just to build their own media arm or build their own you know uh you know multi-million person following or hundred thousand person following so i mean i think um i think it's really like there are some tried and trues right like good email marketing good nurture campaigns i think like sms obviously like diving into sms um, and, and just getting like, just getting the basics, right? Like, I think there are so many companies out there that if like you took a look at their backend and like their conversion pixels aren't, you know, firing properly or, you know, their data just is a little off or they're not collecting email addresses, or whatever. It's like, I think so many just need to get the basics right. And then from there, um, as you have time and runway, like then expand on, on the rest. So the getting the basics down, getting the email set up, get, getting your data right, like uh, one channel, maybe two at the start, really, like, sure. really focusing and on, um, yeah, not spreading yourself too thin because you're mm-hmm. a solo, solo founder. That makes sense. Okay. So what, um, 
eventually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of founders will get to a point where they hire a first marketer or a mm -hmm. head of growth or sure. CMO, whatever this sure. like the, the appropriate role and title is. What um, should be what what should people be looking for in that first hire? If, if they're not, say they're not a mark, they don't have a marketing background. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I think like, um, I think you want to not someone who's going to operate, right? Like you want an operator. I think I've talked a lot about this recently with a mentor of mine. Is like operators are are running, um, are running our economy. So someone who's not like that first hire needs to be someone who's able to get in the weeds and actually do the do the work. So. Um, I think a lot of time, like, yeah, some of your C-levels or your founders are going to sign off on budget and sign off on on um, contracts. But it's like your operators. And, and I talked about this within Bolt, too. Like, you know, as a CMO, when, when I brought Bolt online, like, I was CMO, but I was also, like, the day-to-day -day operator of the e-commerce website, right? Like, I was the one making that decision and recommending it. So, I mean, I think it's, it's fine someone who's an operator. I also think, like, some of your best marketers are going to be... Um, people who have one um, just are very strategic and, and um, conceptual thinkers, like think about the larger picture and really are asking like, okay, what's, what's, or aren't going like willy nilly on tasks, but are really asking like, what's the problem we're solving for? Um, and then two are people who are like really good QA, UAT people. Like I, I've kind of keep going back to that in, in talking to people is like when I was coming up like i was i was a journalist and then i was a jack of all kind of social media marketer and then in that role like i didn't know how to run a dev team um i didn't know like really much about how to run a digital marketing team but like when i looked at a website and i looked at like something that we were looking to launch i was like well where's the meta title where's the meta description like why is it you know, why isn't this redirect working? Like, why isn't this link working? And like someone who's able to kind of go through that, you like knows like what's wrong, may not know how to fix it, but knows that it's not right is like, think like really a critical um, component to, to that first hire. Yeah. So uh, identifying problems, but then not just solving it right away. It's you have such limited resources and budget and time that you have to prioritize right. Uh, right. which problems to solve. So. Sure. And I often say, like, even when I was within the industry West, like, there were things I would try to, what I wanted to achieve that I was like, I know this, <laughs> I don't know how to do this, but I know it's possible. Like, I knew, often knew I was asking for things that were, like, doable. I just didn't know how to do them technically myself. Um, so, like, and then I think that came up, like, as we were trying to, you know, implement Salesforce or implement whatever, it was just like, I know, I know, I know this isn't like a crazy ask. I just don't know how to do it. So um, I think having that kind of skill set of like, I know what I want, I get, but I'm also willing to recognize I don't know what I don't know. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So <laughs> you, ha you have this person who's an operator. They are problem solver. They are boots on the ground and like doing things day to day. And while keeping a high level overview, <laughs> what what compensation, what position, like what would you think is fair uh, for like or a good starting point for sure. uh, either head of growth or CMO or VP? I know these are all very different and very sure, wide, yeah, very yeah. widely across brands. So 
uh, just pick one and give a little bit of context about it. And would love to just try to get people in the right frame of mind if they are getting to this point ready to Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously a very broad question and, <laughs> yeah. and conversation to be had. I mean, I think it obviously depends on um, on the category, on the vertical, on the, you know, what, what the company's doing top line wise. Um, I mean, I think, you know, do you bring on a CMO right away? Like, I definitely don't think so. Like, I think your average company is like, that's in the SMB, you know, doing less than a million dollars is looking for like director of growth or director of e-commerce or director of um, digital commerce, whatever, whatever we want to call it. So, or senior director, like we're mm-hmm. not, I don't think you're looking to bring on a VP CMO when you're in that sub million dollar range by any means. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Compensation wise. Um, yeah. No, it's it's kind of tough. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I think what I will say, like I'm going to skirt the compensation issue or cool, question. Cool. And, yeah, yeah, but no what worries. I will say is like, don't be, if you're hiring, like, don't, um, I, I do think, like, we're in a more, rem- especially now COVID and everything, like, right, this is a more remote employment time than ever. So, I mean, I think don't be, um, don't don't cut your nose to spite your face in terms of, of hiring, you know, I think you have to hire in, in ha- like, locally or someone that's going to be in the office with you every day. Um, and don't, I guess, on the other side, don't be um, scared to, like I think this opens us opens more people up more to the entrepreneurial opportunity. So like you could be in a very small town in the USA with a great idea and a great product, but not maybe not the right people around you to implement it. But that's okay. Like you can. I live in a tiny town in coastal South Carolina, um, you know, and I've been able to work from here. Like do my this ecom D to C job for the past, um, you know, seven years from here. Um, you know. So I think that's that's huge. Um, so I mean, I think you utilize that opportunity to to say like, okay, I, I can do this. I, like I can even f- fulfillment. Like if you're less than a million dollars, like maybe some fulfillment's happening out of your house, right, or a small space, uh, maybe the garage. So like that's okay. Um, and then the first employee or the second employee, like they could be anywhere. Like really doesn't really matter. So I think you know utilize that opportunity. Yeah. No, I. Uh... <laughs> My question was a was a little tough, so I'm glad you answered no, it with uh, with uh, grace, and I ex- got a good answer out of you. Um, okay, <laughs> so I, I just want to ask you because I, I brought it up before we started the show: in house versus agency. <laughs> On D to C Twitter, the last few weeks, there's been a little uproar up and up and back about agencies are bad agencies are good in-house only in-house only this like Mm -hmm. what where where do we start to define this this Mm -hmm. challenge and problem and how do we break it down yeah i mean i think it's definitely um again i think it depends on so much like i think it depends on what your budget is what you're willing to what, what risk you're willing to um swallow on both ends so like for instance let's talk about like you're running a magento a magento store uh for instance like there are agencies that there are a lot of agencies that are having a hard time finding magento devs so good luck trying to build your own in-house magento team with enough redundancy for when they inevitably leave 
Um, so like, that's a huge issue. So like I was, you know, for Magento, I think like, that's why you're seeing mostly, you know, SIs taking on Magento sites and not a lot of in-house dev. Um, now, like the little bit less pain point there, but similar, like on the media buy side, like, yeah, you can find someone, but like, are they going to have enough expertise and enough talent across all these channels to, to justify that, you know, in-house spend? And what if they leave? Like, what do, what do you do? Like when they leave, like, and you're having your six months without that position, which is always a scary, you know, it's, it's scary. So, I mean, I think that being said, like I've, I've often cited on like, I've, I've worked with a lot of agencies, both on the digital media side or media buy side, and then the, and, and the development side. But I've also not been afraid to pivot quickly if, if it wasn't working out with those agencies. So like when I was at Industry West, I think we had like five different dev agencies in my first four years. And then like the last two years, like once I found the one I, I liked, like I, I loved them, like it worked, it was perfect. And we did so much work with them. Um, and so like, it, so, so I mean, I think it's like finding the right fit. Um, so I mean, again, I don't think there is a, there's no one size fits all solution. I think what? it's like, what, what's your, um, what's your level of, um, what's your appetite for, for risk um, and, and, and spend? I mean, agencies are expensive, but I also think like if you find the right one, like you're going to make your, you know, there's, there's value there. There's, you should see lift from, from that relationship. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. I was, uh, hoping for a spicy take, but you provided a, an excellent answer um, that it depends and risk is a, is a good variable, I think, uh, to clarify there. And so mm -hmm. you, to, to make it really clear, you're saying in-house is more risk uh, for a bootstrap budget, technically? Um, I, I mean, I think it's risky in terms of, I think it depends on your tech stack. Um, and I think it depends on... Um, yeah, but I, I, I guess my fear always within house was you're, um, there's a finite number of employees you're going to be able to hire. And um, what are you going to do when that, that employee leaves, particularly on the dev side? Like when you're farming out your dev, like if you have the right agency, like at the least, at the absolute least, you know that you're, you're guaranteed to have like, emergency on call for that time the site goes down at two o'clock in the morning. Um, like what happens when your internal dev leaves for greener pastures and you don't have anyone for three months and the site goes down and you don't know, like I know how to use MailChimp and I know how to use Clavio, but I have no idea what to do when my you know website goes down. So, um, so I'm mean, going to think that's, it's, that's a risky, that's, I always felt that was a risky proposition for me. Now, that being said, like Shopify, like, you know, the Shopify, the Shopifyization of e-commerce has made that a little less riskier. So I'm mean, going to think, again, it depends on your tech stack. It depends on your level of comfortability with, with who you have on staff and who, who you are as a founder. Um, but I mean, I think as you start to get toward the, I think when you're in the, like, when you're out of the S and more into the M of the SMB side and you are um, um, big enough where you're starting to grow a team, but not big enough to really kind of go full bore into building your own entire, you know, like building an in-house agency. 
um, where you're able to afford certain levels of uh, redundancy in the staffing that it's it's a trick it's a tricky place to be in and one that always scared me got it got it okay um what's let's narrow back into <laughs> small business and marketing and early stage founders so you have your your first product you launch you've been running your brand for a year or two you've got some traction you made a few hundred grand in revenue lifetime you're introducing a new product it's a that, like second product uh, you're expanding your collection your or a whole new set of SKUs, right? Like, how would you coach a first-time founder doing a new product launch? Like, what do you wish you knew 21 years ago on how to launch a product? I, mean, I think if you that new product launch piece, like, like to your to your point, if this is your second product, you have some sort of built-up audience. Um, I think. Um, I think the whole drop culture is something that I was late to adopt um, as a merchant. I think it's really critical. So I think build up, um, build up anticipation, tease it out, um, do something fun to um, create um, anticipation and then create FOMO um, on the back end. So um, do like maybe as a first time, like do a limited run, um, some sort of, um, or maybe even some, you know, community engagement in terms of um, of, of uh, input on the product, sourcing, you know, colors, et cetera. But something to build community engagement, something to build um, anticipations, and, and then FOMO on the actual back end. Um, so uh, I, I think that's that's huge. Um, and I think as a um, again, as if it's that's made easier if you have that built-in audience from 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 you know uh establishing your first product in your first line uh so i'm mean, gonna think um yeah I, I think there's something to that and i think especially now as as that's been built upon even more um is um is that anticipation and, and fear of missing out do something more limited limited will definitely help move the meter yeah and i think that's really important to note for bootstrap founders uh, that are more budget conscious and budget friendly <laughs> of ah oh, maybe i don't want to purchase ten thousand units of this new product right away right like maybe right, sure, that's, sure. that's really expensive uh for them and it's there's no guarantee of working so maybe start on a limited drop test out a new product and then roll mm -hmm. it out bigger if it works out i think that makes a lot of sense um yeah I, kind sure. of jumping around to different areas of to try to help early founders with their marketing. Um, <laughs> when, like, uh, I wanted, I kind of want to go back to that point of you, may, you, you mentioned earlier about the iOS and these changes mm -hmm. and just build a media arm <laughs> of, you know, this advice yeah. sometimes comes out. Like, okay, maybe we can't build a full media arm, but what do you think is actually one baby step towards building to start building that media arm for your own brand like what's that first baby step yeah i mean i do think like content marketing is is huge and critical right so i mean i think like uh developing a voice developing a point of view and i think like blog content seo rich content and something that is above and beyond um just beating people over the head with a product like i think is a critical component of of any 
brand. Um, so um, I do think like there is, I think, you know, I think you have to account for the fact that there are people who want to feel connectivity to a brand. Um, and I think there are also people who are just don't care about that or just going to buy something they think is pretty and functional. So, but I do think like, especially, you know, today in a DTC space and the DTC world where people want a bit more um, out of their brands than just, you know, um, 5,000 fake reviews or, you know, like, I think like, yeah, I think content marketing is huge. I think like if you look at um, um, so much, so many, so much of the, the health tech stuff of, of, of I, I actually just heard this term this morning, Orchid did a podcast, like uh, the biohack culture, right? Like, I think if you look at like uh, Whoop and U-Ring and um, eight, eight Sleep, like they do an amazing job of like, not just beating your head over the with the product, but also like providing like content that speaks to what you're trying to achieve through the use of their product. So I mean, I think it's like super important, right? But at the same time, like while Eight Sleep does that, they're also beating you over the head with like a ton of retargeting. <laughs> so like, right? Like there's so many, it's, it's, there's, it's not like they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater saying we're just going to do content marketing and not drive ads at all uh, or, or run ads at all. But um, so I mean, I think there's like, there's, it's multiple, you know, prongs or multiple spokes to the wheel. So I mean, I think like, yeah, like establish a point of view, establish, um, establish a voice and then like, yeah, generate, generate a ton of content. Like it's, it's, you never know when like that one content piece is going to hit and just drum up tons of organic reach and, um, and just really resonate with people. So, uh, so I mean, I think that's the first step is like, is just generate, generate great, some start generating some good content. Yeah. Like try like first step, maybe not a blog post a week. Just try one blog post. Yeah, exactly. Like start yeah. literally so small. Just start sure. with a minimum viable content piece. Right. Okay. So take a voice, um, generate content, put it out, listen, and actually get feedback about it and iterate and don't just keep blasting out content without hearing uh seeing how it works there's so much talk about community and this uh, own channels and mm -hmm. owning your audience how can merchants and store owners and early stage founders build or help shape the community that is either naturally being built um by their customers mm -hmm. or something that they need to help out uh, in, in sure. forming that community. Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to channel is like, what's the, what's the proper channel for the community? Is it, is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? Is it discord? Is it Slack? Is it, um, you know, where, where do you want them to have that conversation is what is, what is the function of the community? Like, do you really need them to have, back and forth is it is it communication or is it is it one way is it two way is it is it truly community where you're um is it like you know uh I, I, you look at community different from the perspective of community around a clothing brand versus community around um crossfit or, or noble or um like whereas they're actually like gathering and, and getting together so i mean it, it, it of course depends on the vertical and it depends on uh, uh the category but I mean, I think really figuring out like, okay, what is, what is the purpose? Is it, is the community really me um, trying to um, empower my customers to evangelize on my behalf? And so basically like just providing them with great content or like, so for, again, going back to like biohackery, um, like eight sleep, like 
that community, I would imagine, would be folk, like around, yes, them maybe talking to each other to an extent in terms of um, of uh, of health metrics and that sort of thing and, and sharing tips. But I think a lot of it is like the community is um, when someone sees their sleep improve and success of health in their own life, in their own life, like how is eight sleep then empowering them to evangelize on the brand's behalf? So maybe it's not simply just sharing um, the website, but sharing, you know, again, going back to sharing content within the website, um, a blog post, whatever. Um, I think a lot about the community of, um, I, I like you take, again, I, I don't have a loop, I have a U-ring, but you take loop and you, they've built up this community where people can share each other's metrics and she like how, like what their resting heart rate is and what their HRV is. And I, I know like someone, I think maybe Jonathan Poma like tweeted about how like he saw something on his friend's loop metrics and concerned him and like pinged him and was like ended up the guy was like yeah he was having a health issue so i mean i think like um it typically obviously depends on on the the, the product and the um and the vertical but i think like again figure out like what is what is the goal of the community and then what are the like what is is again is it like is it one way? Is it two way? Or is it truly like, is it in, in real life? Is it like, where, how is that? Where do you want that community to happen and then create the tools to foster it? So just like we mentioned earlier, don't just create a community to create a community. <laughs> Identify the problem you're solving for the community. Is it for you and your VIP customers and to keep them in the loop and to get feedback, product testing and ideas? Or is it more like outbound and it's brand evangelism? and customer advocacy. So it's really interesting to know what problem you're trying to solve for with your community. That's good to know. Good questions to ask yourself. Right. What What is one of, let's um, start to wind down, but one of the last questions I have for you is what is one of the most overlooked but most important things about a small e-commerce business <laughs> that is, I know is very broad and, <laughs> and it is very, uh, very difficult. So I'm going to refine it a mm -hmm. little bit more. So what, what do you think is one of the things that works early on, but as you grow past a million, 2 million in revenue a year mm -hmm. that needs to change? Like what's the biggest thing that, um, founders get stuck on like operators have run into trouble as they grow and scale. Hmm. Like, is it, is it tactical thing? Is it more like systems and culture and hiring? Like, is it, sure. you know? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think systems is a good point. Like, I think, yeah, as you mentioned systems, I think like, um, I think what you find is there's like, you're willing to hack it at, things when you're small but the larger at some point you keep hacking you keep hacking you keep hacking and then like those systems aren't sustainable so i think um you want things to be as as like you want there to be a logic and programmatic aspect to everything you do um and so whether like i, I think like okay so let's say you um you have one website and you have a, like five SKUs on that site. And then um, you have, you decide to launch a sister brand and um, that's on a different site and maybe it's even on a different, you know, uh, CMS. And so you're 
the first site, those orders are 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 man or automatically going into your ERP. But the second site, you're having to manually place those orders into the ERP or manually update stock and whatever. And then like, okay, that's good for the first you know, year, but in the second year, it's like, oh, well, now I have 20 SKUs, I have 30 SKUs and I have 5,000 units. And like, how am I going to manually run all this? So I do think like sooner than later, um, think about how you're programmatically managing um, your systems and, and, and that there's a logic um, to everything you're doing. And to, I would say if, as you're able, like spend the extra dollars the few extra bucks to, to create logic and to create something that is um, more uh, automatic and programmatic and, and not manually dependent. Scalable, sustainable. We want the business to keep running while we go to sleep, you know? Like, we want to keep able, able to accept orders overnight and have it keep running smoothly. That makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ian, any any last thoughts? Anything we didn't get to? Uh, any any last hot takes uh, before um, we, uh, we, we, we any, slowly do Any here? hot takes, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've got a lot of hot takes on... Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you just, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, I do think like, here's my hot take is, is I've talked about this a lot is if you're a founder, if you're starting up in e-commerce and D2C and you like, you kind of get into that ecosphere of, uh, especially on Twitter, like do what's right for you. I think so much of what we talk about on Twitter is so much inside baseball and it's so much sausage being made and is so much things that like i told my wife the other day like i talked to her about something that was happening on twitter and i said carolyn like what i'm telling you about maybe a hundred thousand people in this country actually care about <laughs> like you know like so i'm mean, gonna think like take a step back and, and don't be bullied by people who you know maybe think like they know better or have done better um do what's right for you what's right for your customer base you know your customers and um at the end of the day like i said a lot of a lot of this is such inside baseball like if you're seeing something work for you um just 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 um just double down on it got it makes yeah i i like it uh, <laughs> I, I get lost <laughs> in the sauce too sometimes especially at sub niche in e-commerce of just media buying like that's a whole nother thing it's like even Smart. less people care about that right yeah <laughs> like, right so it's really cool okay like the hot take in where can people find you where do you want to point them to if they have questions <laughs> they want to learn more about bolt sure yeah appreciate it so obviously at bolt i'm um, just invite people to go to bolt.com uh one everything they need about there there we're, we're actually about to launch a really awesome new uh, merchant section where we highlight our merchants and it's a bit more of a shoppable experience um which is really exciting um and then for me personally um mostly uh on the twitters um i am uh at i r leslie so at i r l e s l i e um and yeah uh, appreciate it yeah thanks for your time man you guys can find ian go talk to him go check out bolt Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next episode. Word. Thanks, man.